Chapter Thirteen of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Robinson Crusoe, That Turbulent Table. By this time we had really got our little house quite snug. A hole in the floor, a three-legged chair, and brown paper pushed into the largest of the holes in the walls. What more could a man want? However, we did want something more, and that was a table. One gets tired of balancing tims of plo nearly said it again, marmalade, on one's knee, and holding an enamel cup in one hand and a pocket knife in the other. So we all said how nice a table would be. I determined to say no more but to show by deeds, not by words, that I would find a table and have one there by the next day like a fairy in a pantomime. I started off on my search one night. Take it from me. A fairy's is a poor job out there. And when you've read the next bit, you'll agree. Behind our position stood the old ruined chateau and beyond it one or two scattered cottages. I had never really had a good look at all at that part and as I knew some of our reserve trenches ran around there and that it would be a good thing to know all about them, I decided to ask the Colonel for permission to creep off one afternoon and explore the whole thing. Incidentally, I might by good luck find a table. It was possible, by wriggling up a mud valley and crawling over a few scattered remnants of houses and bygone trenches, to reach the Colonel's headquarter dugout in daytime. So I did it and asked leave to go off back to have a look at the chateau and the land about it. He gave me permission, so, armed with my long walking stick, a billiard cue with the thin part cut off which I found on passing another chateau one night, I started off to explore. I reached the chateau. An interesting sight it was. How many shells had hit it one couldn't even guess, but the results indicated a good few. What once had been well-kept lawns were now covered with articles which would have been much better left in their proper places. One suddenly came upon half a statue of Minerva or Venus wrapped in three-quarters of a stair carpet in the middle of one of the greenhouses. Passing on, one would find the lighting conductor projecting out through the tapestried seat of a Louis Quinn's chair. I never saw such a mess. Inside the upstairs rooms were competing with the ground-floor ones as to which should get into the cellars first. It was really too terrible to contemplate the fearful destruction. I found it impossible to examine much of the interior of the chateau, as blocks of masonry and twisted iron girders closed up most of the doors and passages. I left this melancholy ruin full of thought and proceeded across the shell-pitted gardens towards the few little cottages beyond. These were in a better state of preservation, and were well worth a visit. In the first one I entered I found a table, the very thing I wanted. It was stuck away in a small lean-to at the back, a nice little green one just the size to suit us. I determined to get it back to our shack somehow, but before doing so went on rummaging about these cottages. In the second cottage I made an enormously lucky find for us. Under a heap of firewood in an outhouse I found a large pile of coal. This was splendid and would be invaluable to us in our fire-bucket. Nothing pleased me more than this, as the cold was very severe and a fire meant so much to us. When I had completed my investigations and turned over all the oddments lying about to see if there was anything else of use to us, I started off on the return journey. It was now dark and I was able to walk along without fear of being seen. Of course I was taking the table with me. I decided to come back later for the coal with a few sandbags for filling. 
so I covered it over and hid it as much as possible. Sensation! Ali Baba returns from the forest. I started off with the table. I had about three-quarters of a mile to go. Every hundred yards I had to sit down and rest. A table is a horrible thing to accompany one on a mile walk. I reached the chateau again and out into the fields beyond, resting with my burden about three times before I got to the road which led straight on to our trenches. My task was a bit harder now as I was in full view of the German trenches. Had it been daylight they could have seen me quite easily. Fortunately it was dark, but of course star shells would show up one quite distinctly. I staggered on down the road with the green table on my back, pausing as little as possible but a rest had to be taken and this at a very exposed part of the road. I put the table down and sat panning on the top. A white streak shot into the air. A star shell! Curse! I sprang off the green top and waltzed with my four-legged wooden octopus into the ditch at the side where I lay still, waiting for the light to die out. Suspense over, I went on again. At last I got back with that table and pushed it into our hovel under the sack doorway. Immense success! just the thing we wanted. We all sat down to dinner that night in the approved fashion, whilst I, with the air of a conspirator, narrated the incredible story of the vast Eldorado of coal which I had discovered, and, over our shrimp paste and biscuits, we discussed plans for its removal. End of chapter 13 Recording by Philip Gould